Uh, 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 Vaughn, don't you think you better get out to the bullpen? Right now? Yeah. There's still so many left in the bleachers. Who cares? Go on, get out there. you like that I mean, you gotta at least have the teammates pretend to hold you back or something you could have the guy in the stands just just have you sulk back into the dugout like that bad way his comment was at least i don't have some cover girl dragging me around by my johnson <laughs> is there a more yeah. 90s insult than that i mean cover girl i mean what even is cover girl anymore you're right but and you could see as Omar Epps, Willie Mays Hayes, as he wa- as he's walking away from Wild Thing, he expected it. He knew that there was going to be a brawl. You can see that he's bracing for impact. He's got his shoulders rounded. His eyes are wide. He's just waiting to be hit, waiting to be speared in the back by Wild Thing. And then, of course, it happens, and the team is 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 is, is a fracas. Um, is that a word we can use in this show? <laughs> yeah, fracas, a fracas. I mean, that's a, that's a baseball brawl term. And yeah, a really a smart move by Epps to turn his back as to not be blamed for the starting of the fight. Right. I mean, how my back was turned, but he knew. He knew it was coming. All I'll say is I'm on Wild Thing's side here. You, you can't you can't give that guy the time of day. You just leave. Get out of here. I'm, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's my thought on it. I don't know. I think uh, Randy Quaid was the catalyst to turning the whole team around. He knew that heckling Vaughn would have him sulk back into the dugout, which therefore would trigger a team-wide brawl, therefore igniting the team into <laughs> an unprecedented winning streak. My, my hot take on Major League Two is that Randy Quaid's the best character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't villain scale him, right? So <laughs> no. maybe, maybe in real life we can villain scale him, but uh, this character, no. Well, welcome back to the Last Row Podcast. This is episode... 136. Yo. Today, we have a very, very famous and very special guest with us, Mr. Very Ty handsome. Hildenbrand. A very, a very handsome, handsome man. You can't see him, but we can. And, uh, you know, very, very famous guest. Thank you so much, Ty, for, for, for being with us today. Thank you. Did you describe me as very famous? You're going to be my new agent. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take the job gladly. <laughs> Glad You're going to be my new job. agent. I see the check cleared. Thank you for your for your <laughs> kindness and for the invite. I, I will admit, I was peeved when you guys did Major League and you didn't invite me on. Yeah, yeah. That's our best. And we- so this is that this is a redemption arc of sorts, and <laughs> I am thrilled to be here. I listen religiously. I am I am ever so grateful that you guys invited me on. So this will be fun. Let's talk Major League Two. Thank you. If you guys are new to the show, check our website out, thelastrowpodcast.com. Follow us on all the social channels at The Last Row Pod. Check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider leaving us a five-star review if you haven't done so already. Thanks to everyone that did so, so far. 
Welcome, guys. Badway, Mr. Badway, I turn it to you for an overview here. So, like I said, Major League 2, March 30th, 1994. Guys, rated PG. Off of the rated R, uh, you know, so original there. Five years after the fact, did you guys watch this movie in 94 or was it much later in your childhood? How, How did that work? I actually saw this movie before seeing Major League One. That's how it works, isn't it? That's usually how it works. Me too. Yeah. I was I was in awe of this movie. I loved every bit of it. Yeah. And I didn't go back until later to see um Major League One. And and the version that I saw at the time, I think was like the edited version on oh, USA. Yeah. Shocking. You know, Major League One's one of those movies, at least for me, that when it's on TV, when it's on cable TV, if that's even a thing for us anymore now in the era of streaming. I will always watch it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Always take time to watch the end of the movie. It's not that long of a movie to begin with, but the edited version of the first one is kind of its own movie. It's its own version of that original movie because the way that they edited out curse words and some of the scenes, it kind of makes it more unintentionally funny than the original. Oh, yeah. um, so I didn't go back and watch that one until after the fact. And for a long time, and I think to some extent, I still think major league two is the better movie. Um, but no, it, it, it kind of took a while for the whole franchise to catch on with me. Major League Three, we're not going to, we're not going to talk Major League Three, right? We're not going <laughs> to. I have a soft spot no, for that movie. I mean, I do. We can, we can acknowledge its existence, but yeah, I mean, that, that's for another day. That's, uh, I'm not even willing to go there with it bad way. <laughs> that movie never happened in my book, but. Scott Bakula? <laughs> who are the buzz? Who are they? Okay. Oh my God. Uh, Drew, uh. Thoughts yeah, on the, on watching this as as a, as a you, I, I agree with Ty. I saw it. I saw this movie after uh, before the first one, and when you go back and watch the first one, it's almost shocking because it's more. And we talked about this, and I forgot what episode we. I don't even remember. I'll put it in the show notes. We did Major League One, obviously the summer of sequels here. Uh, I remember watching that movie, thinking like, "Man, this is a love story between Tom Berenger and Renee Russo." It's it's like really shocking and. Uh, we famously called him out as sort of the villain and the creep of that movie, maybe rightfully so. But yeah. uh, I, I definitely, I think the second one's a more fun movie. It's it's a little bit more fun. It's it's goofy. It's definitely PG compared to the first one, which is rated R. But uh, I like the second one better. I think you hit it. They cut the crap, and it's more baseball. Yeah. And, uh, if you're you know if you're growing up in this age and you watch this movie, of course you're gonna like this more than Major League One, and then the nostalgia will follow you forever. And on and on. Runtime hour, one hour, 45 minutes, genre sports slash comedy, directed by David S. Ward. Sword. True, this is our third David S. Ward movie. Would you believe it? He only directed like six movies. So we got half of his catalog. <laughs> we got half right of here. the catalog yeah. right there. <laughs> only three more to go. <laughs> Major League. And can you name the other one? Uh, I know this. And Football now I movie. Was it the program? It's the program. The program. The that's, program. That's what I thought. Yep. <laughs> anyway, ratings IMDb 5.6 out of 10. Too low. Too low. Too low. Tomato 5%, guys? Way too low. How 5%? Insulting. How Way insulting is that? that is, does it even go that low? I'm about to brawl Rotten Tomatoes. Hold that that means that if you go on the Rotten Tomatoes page and you sort by like lowest of all time, this has to be on the first page of lowest of all time. <laughs> and there's the list, no way. Guys. It's on the list. Oh. There's no Man, way. This is a 5%. This movie rules. It's just, it's awesome. it's no fun. No fun to be had. Jeez, Way too low. Man. That's why I, I, I started a petition to boycott Rotten Tomatoes years ago. Yeah, and Drew just Drew shot me down. <laughs> We're gonna bring it back. Yeah, no, no, uh, no uh, semblance of a Metacritic score here, guys. So we're going to Letterbox two point eight out of five, which is more respectable, but still too low. It's too low. But they can't too score low. it on Metacritic because it's too good. 
it's that's yeah, why that's it's too right, good. Yeah. It's too, there's not a score high enough for it. Breaks really. the scale, guys. So, all right. For those that don't know, Major League Two is about the Cleveland Indians, an endearing assortment of oddballs who improbably won the division championship last year, have since lost their edge due to personal pursuits and the excesses of fame. Not bad. Mm, Rick right. Wild Thing Vaughn, played by Charlie Sheen. Does lucrative endorsements, but his killer fastball is gone, the Terminator. While once aggressive slugger Pedro Serrano, played by Dennis Haysbert, has become a laid-back Buddhist. But as the players realize they've all gone astray, they rally for a shot at the World Series. You know, what I, you know what I say to that synopsis? What's that? Too long. Too long. <laughs> too long. Entirely too long. <laughs> <laughs> let's sh- let's shorten it up. What about the taglines, Drew? Yeah, you know what? So let let's let's do the taglines here. So Ty, I, I'm going to ask you, you. You're the guest of honor here. You tell us which one you prefer. So there's only two this time. Sometimes we have fifty. There's only two. So Major League Two, America's favorite team is back. Number okay. two, yeah. the dream team is back. I mean, I think both of those are better than the official synopsis. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, because I was listening to that and. While it's not wrong, that's not what I got out of the movie at all. It exactly. never is. It never, it never is. is. The synopsis I didn't get are, any of that. Are always are always awful. Always I didn't awful. get any of that out of watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it like we know Wild Thing. Wild Thing got a little too big for his britches, or at least uh, internalized the fame and decided that he needed to change his image because it, he found the aforementioned cover girl or a marketing agency or a different agent. I guess in this case, the agent was the girlfriend. Maybe it was a combination of those things that made him change his ways and grow his hair and start wearing suits and all that. <laughs> I don't think it was Serrano getting <laughs> famous that turned him into a Buddhist. No, no. Like that, there all. was nothing in this movie that led me to think that, oh, that's why. Oh. That's, the, that's the reason why he went like super Zen all of a sudden. So I think this is false advertising. <laughs> And it portrays this movie in a negative light that I don't appreciate. Uh, I well, love this movie to well, every fiber of my being. Me too. Well, that would fall into the category of personal pursuits, right? You know, pursuing there Buddhism. That's personal pursuits, <laughs> not excesses of fame. What, what about the finances for this? So this movie had a $25 million budget, and probably all of that went to renting out the ballparks, right? I mean, what 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 possibly could you spend $25 million yeah. on? Maybe Charlie Sheen's apartment? And it, bucket it of, had bucket a, of baseballs is like fifty bucks. Yeah, and it had a worldwide gross return of of thirty. So for all intents and purposes, this thing was a flop, right? I don't remember what the first one did. It wasn't that much, but you know, there's there's still some star power in here. I know you don't have Wesley Snipes returning, but thirty million. Uh, and then from an award standpoint, unfortunately, no awards. It's only got nominated for actually, it, it was worst sequel, nineteen ninety four winner. So it did win that. <laughs> You're going to upset the guests. Come on, come on. The, the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. But, you know, Ty, Ty can dispute these. And then it was also nominated for, quote, the sequel that nobody was clamoring for. Ty, agree or disagree? I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm biased, guys. You invited me on to this show for a reason. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, to be fair, I never did clamor for the sequel because I didn't know it was a sequel. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see the first one before I saw this one. Um, and so I think longingly about one and two now in retrospect, but I don't like 5% on the rotten tomato meter. 
You're rocked. It's a by little. That. It's a little excessive. You are rocked. Shocked you to your core. Yeah. That's. Uh, it will shock you. That's. <laughs> you won't believe the Rotten Tomatoes score for this nobody, movie. Nobody likes fun, but I guess if you remember the first one, and then you get a sequel that's five years later. I, did that happen? You know, in in these, I guess. I guess you could compare Karate Kid to that. Karate Kid Three is that. Yeah, but it was, I think it was only a couple of years later, right? Because it was 84, 80, I should know this, and then it was 89 for the third. But like, I don't it know. It seems like a long time. I don't know. Do you do you feel, and Ty, maybe I'll start with you. Do you feel, so we talked a little bit about how this, how this, you know, how what your experience was with this. Can you think of any other movies that you watched that maybe was a sequel that you saw first and maybe you, you liked, you, because of when you saw it, you liked it? better than the original? I, I I can think of a couple, but I'm curious if you have any as, as a movie-going person. Not off the top of my head. No, I mean, certainly not ones that I remember as fondly as this one. Um, You know, I mean, this, this I think, hit all of us kind of in our early formative years as, yeah. as yeah. sports fans, as movie fans. And so maybe for that reason and that reason alone, we we have a fonder memory of it. Um. To be honest, I there was no way I was going to see Major League One in 1989. I was eight years old, yeah, <laughs> seven years old, right? That just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And so I never had a chance at catching that one first. Um, I'm sure there are examples, but I'll have to I'll have to give it some thought here. What what is yours that you saw first? It's not first, maybe, but one that comes to my mind, and I don't know if you're going to say this one too bad way, is like Ghostbusters 2. Like, I saw the first one. It was the TV edit, Mm. but I saw the second one so many more times as a a youth that when I went back to the first one, it's like you almost like the second one better. It gets a lot of crap. Obviously, the original is the best, I think, but I have a soft spot for like the second one. I don't know about you, bad way. I saw two before I saw one, and two was the first movie I saw at a theater. So that's kind of Mm. like... That is like the quintessential sequel before the original for me. And it's kind of the same thing where, I don't know, maybe one is probably a better movie, but this is two is more fun. And I think I, that holds true for both. I, I feel like I've seen some of the more recent action or, or act, I guess action's the wrong genre. Um, whatever we classify superhero movies as yeah. these days, yeah. like some the of the Marvel Avengers films. movies, Marvel, right? Some of those, it it's tough to kind of, be in lockstep with the Marvel comic universe as they were building out their, their arc. And so I, I definitely was out of order with some of those, uh, to say that I liked uh, what Thor Ragnarok, I think I saw before some of the other Thor movies and that was funny as hell. Yeah. And so that one, I really, really enjoyed. I definitely don't have a whole lot of recent examples beyond that though. Yeah. What, what about this movie and badly your thoughts, but like, did you re- did watching this again bring you back to your childhood when you when you saw this as something yeah. that that you grew up with? It's a type of thing where like a time will agree that you've seen this movie a thousand times. You kind of like know the lines as they're coming, even if you haven't seen them and you haven't seen this movie in the years. It's kind of ingrained in the brain. And I yeah, as soon like within the first ten minutes, I'm like, yes, this is this is my movie. This is my this is my youth. This is my nineties. Oh yeah, it. I I could do all the lines in this movie and. <laughs> There, everybody has a handful of movies like that where you just, you know, all the lines, you can recite the movie lines to your friends. It's just second nature. You've seen it so, so often you remember it so fondly. And this is one of those for me. I could go years without watching it yeah. and still do, you know, 35% of the lines in the movie 
without any mistakes because yeah, it, it is the kind of thing that you, like I said, you, we watched this in our formative years as movie fans, as sports fans, as, as young adults. And, um, you know, it, it just had an outsized impact. So, so talking about the first movie and into the second movie, maybe we need to kind of set up where these guys are. Cause the, the first movie ended, I think if I'm not mistaken, right. They ended at the end of the season. They were like winning the pennant and that was, that was it. Right. You never get the playoffs in these, in these movies really. Yep. I mean, yep. I think this was the first one. You just win the pennant. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. Where is everybody at since the last movie? Because you, not everybody's back. It seems maybe you could set this up for us. Bad way. Yeah, it seems uh, there's only there's only a handful back, right? You got as far as players go, it's Vaughn, it's Serrano. Dorn is now an upper management owner. <laughs> Taylor is hardly a player. He's hanging on. He knows he's not making the team. He knows. Like he he may uh, he may pretend like he thinks he's making the team. He knows he doesn't have it. He's he's limping before he does one move. He's he's, <laughs> he's limping coming out uh, of the taxi. Yes. Yeah, he's like submerged he's, he's, in the tub. The, the you, you heard the, the the phrase your knees are shot. His knees are shot. They're blasted. Yeah. And then you got Serrano, who's, you know, too peaceful to care. And then you got William Hayes, Hayes, who's just a completely different person. So, <laughs> Do you like that? Now, do you think that they should have just made it a different player? Like, did it need to be William Hayes Hayes? I think it needed to be William Hayes Hayes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually, again, maybe it's because I saw the second one before the first. I liked Omar Epps better. Me too. I did too. I know it's controversial, as, but I did. As Willie Mays Hayes. Um, he's more likable. He's more, sure. more likable. I mean, look, the, the difference is, and I understand why the first movie is rated R. It had a harder edge to it for sure. Yeah. And this was definitely more of a fun movie and kind of upbeat and not quite as scandalous, I guess. Um, I just like this character better. I, I, Willie, or Willie Mays Hayes would have been fine as Wesley Snipes in Major League Two as well. But this character was just like a little bit more upbeat and um, I, I don't know. I just think he yeah. did a better job with the character. Maybe it was just written better and it wasn't so much an actor thing. But I I have long maintained that Omar Epps was a better William Ace Hayes. Yeah. And it's a natural progression for the character too to become Hollywood after one after one good season. He's in action movies, doesn't care so much about baseball. He's milking his injury. Team's losing, so he doesn't care. He's thinking about his next movie maybe. It was, it's a natural progression. I want to ask you guys about the Black Hammer White Lightning movie with Jesse the Body Ventura because Ooh. I'm just dying to know what this movie is. Like I saw the trailer and it kind of intrigued me. Like this is this is something that I think we would do on the Last Row podcast. Like that's the kind of film we would be watching. Would you guys be in the theater watching that movie starring Willie Mays Hayes? I mean, absolutely. And then you're going to put a wrestler in there too, let alone Jesse Ventura straight out of <laughs> straight out of Predator. Like, yeah, couldn't be more perfectly cast. I'm in. It's it's wonderful. It's it's definitely not a good movie. It's, it's okay. definitely one of those movies like the Fast series that you watch ironically yeah. <laughs> just because it's got an interesting cast in it and guys who are, you know, acting seriously with a goofy plot. The fact that Jesse the Body Ventura does some sort of Tarzan yell as he's <laughs> jumping down off of a ship platform. It looked like it was a shipyard of sorts. And somehow lands on his feet. Tom Berenger in the movie react. Jake Taylor, the character Jake Taylor in the movie <laughs> reacts shrugging like, how the hell did that happen? And 
the little like exchange at the end where Willie Mays Hayes says, mine fell the hardest, or no, Jesse the Body Ventura says, mine fell the hardest, and Willie Mays Hayes says, mine are the deadest. I mean, you that that is the kind of movie that we would watch ironically, yeah. not because we think it's any good. This is why we're lucky to have you on the show right now. Your knowledge of Major League Two is unparalleled across the internet here, so we, we're very we're very lucky to have Listen, you. Listen, let here. me tell you let me tell you a quick story, okay? And you know this, you guys know this because we have a shared doc here. Um, I have the list of all the players that were mentioned in the movie, and it's not just the main ones, but I have like the backup first baseman. <laughs> I was also very active back in the day. This is like college, early aughts. I was very active on weird message boards where people were trying to figure out what the Cleveland Indians record was in the original major league, because the way that worked out, there was a one game playoff. There were like, they mentioned more players in the first movie to your point earlier, bad way. We didn't get as many of those guys in major league two. And you could actually piece together, and I helped piece together what the lineup was, the actual one through nine lineup was for for that Cleveland Indians team. So I am in it to win it here when it comes to all things Major League, whether it's one or two. I want to, and maybe that's a good segue to this, because what I want to ask you is maybe maybe coming out of the first movie into this movie, because it's the next season, was this team really even that good and could this could this really happen to a team, or was it the ultimate like lightning in a bottle situation? Like, who actually is good here? It, or do they have good players? Drew, this movie came out in '94. They probably wrote it, you know, some sometimes close to that. Remember the '93 Phillies? This is like <laughs> this is maybe based off of the 1993 Phillies, which had a bunch of scumbags who were good <laughs> one time, and that was it. It was flash in the pan, and this is exactly that. So yeah. yeah, it's it's realistic, and it's also realistic of the downfall. So I don't know what do you feel about I mean, that tie. Well, they had some interesting players though, and if you're asking the question of who who was actually good, I mean, William Mays Hayes was a speed demon on the base paths and buffed up in the winter and was going deep. Now I would like to have seen more of his stats to see the effects of that offseason strength and conditioning program. I want to know how many home runs he had in this version of the movie versus the first. Um, we saw in the first game, he had some warning track power two or three yeah. times. Um, continue that on for the course of a year. My hunch is that he's he's moving more RBIs than usual. Um, I think he was legitimately good. If nothing more, he was a terror on the base pass. Rick Vaughn was not good for most of the movie <laughs> until he refound his Terminator. But in the first movie, he was a revelation. He was... He was the pitcher that has a live arm in in the minor leagues. You bring him up, you don't think he's going to do much, and then he just sort of catches fire, right? So he, at least we know, has potential. Serrano had crazy stats in his first year, leading the league in pretty much every offensive category, in addition to total baldness, which they drop in there very (laughs) casually at the beginning of the movie. Um, So he's clearly got it. He's like a Giancarlo Stanton type. He doesn't hit for average. He's not hitting for average. He's hitting for power bat. 230, right? 230 with 40 bombs, 120 RBIs plus, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. And then on top of it, I think Rube Baker is probably the best player on the team. Whoa. I, I like Rube. I'm a fan. So Rube Baker's character, I mean, his character quirks when he has the yips throwing back to the pitcher. That's based on a real story. That happened to Mackie Sasser 
who was a former catcher for the Mets. And where he couldn't throw it back to them. Now, I don't know if he used Playboy or the <laughs> Friends of question. Hollywood yeah. to distract him and get the ball back to the pitcher more effectively. Like, I don't know if that part is real. But that that plot line is is loosely based on on Mackie Sasser. But they present Rube as like this down-home country boy who's just sort of happy to be there. And every time they show him outside of like spring training and a few missteps along the way he's getting a hit he's getting on base he gets plunked in the ankle but still wants to still wants to run gives an inspiring speech to the team it just seems like as a player he's an actual menace out there uh meanwhile they present him as just sort of like this country bumpkin so there's two teams here there's there's pre or or there's pre or current Parkman Indians, and then there's post Parkman Indians, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So you would you would rather have Rube Baker start at catcher and maybe put Parkman at DH, or maybe teach I, him how to play first. I mean, Rube Baker's a better teammate. Parkman's a better player. Parkman was undeniably a good player. He was Parkman. a jackass. He's a locker yeah. room cancer. He's a yeah. cancer, absolutely. <laughs> and he had that horrible leather jacket and was smoking <laughs> cigarettes. Um. But outside of that, no. I mean, he was he was obviously a good player. He was just a terrible teammate. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I could argue that like he's possible MVP of the league. I mean, he's just every shot you show him, he's jacking homers. I mean, you could get through a jerk teammate, you know, as long as you have a strong locker room around him. But I guess this clearly they clearly did not. Can I say like how unintentionally hilarious it is to me? When someone is smoking a cigarette while doing some type of athletic activity, like I'm pretty sure, and and you would know this better than me, Ty, but like, wasn't the pitching coach smoking cigarettes while he was in bat while they were in batting practice? Like he was tossing pitches to them, smoking was, like a chimney. Yeah, he was throwing pitches to Rube Baker. That was when Rube was trying yeah. to solve his his yips, and <laughs> they they had the assistant coach um, smoking a stogie while I, while he was doing it. Yeah. I just think that's really funny. And I don't remember what movie is like old school where Vince Vaughn's like on the, the rings and he's just smoking like a cigarette. Like Still I just old. find that hilarious old school. So, for some yeah. reason. Yeah. So, so is is Roger Dorn, who we didn't mention much yet, is he GM of the year it, unintentionally for making yeah. that Parkman trade? Fell into it. Uh, opening the spot up for Rube Baker to kind of glue the team together while also getting the second glue guy and the lightning rod that they needed and, uh, and Kamikaze Tanaka. Ashuru Kamikaze Tanaka recently of the Tokyo Giants, right? Yeah. The and Giants. there's there's that scene right <laughs> after right after Dorn makes the trade. I didn't I didn't sell Parkman outright. I got you an outfielder yeah. who used to play for the Giants. <laughs> and Lou Brown looks at him and he says, Taylor? Taylor? <laughs> Not those Giants, guys. <laughs> and then the next scene, I thought this was brilliant the way they laced this yeah. together. The next scene, it is Tanaka just doing some sort of like primal scream in left field, crashing into the wall and losing the ball. He ended up playing, I think, a really instrumental character oh, yeah. in this movie. He was he was a plot device to bring Serrano out of his little Zen state of being. Yeah. Tanaka and Randy Quaid were were important MVPs. in this movie. They were important <laughs> to make this movie flow. Kick well, these guys in the ass. That's exactly right. <laughs> L- let me ask you this. Do you think that the Major League One Indians 
were a better team than the Major League Two Indians, or were the Major League Two Indians a better team than the Major League One Indians? And you got different players here, but like, which one is a better team? Major League One had more than one pitcher, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, like, that who, guy. But it was, but it was Eddie Harris. Yeah. He had the, he had the junk. He, he was throwing that junk, Eddie, and it worked. Eddie, he had Eddie Ben Gay on his arm, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he had Crisco, Bardall, and Vagisil. Those were <laughs> the <Vagisil>, three things. <laughs> and then he talked a little bit about rubbing some jalapeno up your nose to put snot on the ball. That I was part him. of, yeah, that was, that was part of the indoctrination of Ricky Vaughn when he came up from the minors and Eddie Harris was trying to like nurse him along. Um, he didn't listen. Ricky didn't listen. I missed him he, in this film. <laughs> he, here's the thing. And I'm sure you guys have done other sports movies. I know you guys have done other sports movies, but it is so hard in a sports movie to find an actor or actress who actually looks like they know what they're doing. Like Rick Vaughn, Charlie Sheen, Charlie Sheen played at like a state, all state level in high school. Yeah. Right. He actually knew the mechanics of throwing the baseball. Kevin Costner, who's been in countless sports movies, played baseball, knows how to, knows how to throw a baseball. Eddie Harris. And I, you guys would probably know the name of the actor I think it's before Chelsea me. Chelsea Ross, if I'm not mistaken. I, could be I, wrong I, that. I call a Billy Bob Thornton's older yeah. brother. Billy Bob Thornton's, sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. He looks like him. He could not throw <laughs> at all. I mean, it was not at all believable. And he was their and, ace, um, too, right? <laughs> and he was their yeah. ace. Yeah. So that to me, like, I find it hard to believe that just by rubbing some junk on the ball he's suddenly the ace in the rotation and they're going to beat this Indians team. I don't, (laughs) I don't think so. I'll say this about him though, is that like he admittedly, his arm was jelly. So he was doing everything he could to stay in the league because he was on his, he was on the outs. So is it possible that it's an actor's choice for him to throw that poorly (laughs) and to, to mimic a a pitcher at the end of his rope, throw a junk to try to get by? I mean, that may not have been acting bad way. It yeah. may, his arm may literally have been dead, and that was the best yeah. he could do. Like it hap- He tore a labrum after he was cast, and they didn't yeah. have the budget to find somebody new. But I'll be, I'll be to his credit, though, he looked like uh, end of his career J.B. Moyer or Greg Maddox. Like He looked like a pitcher who was at the end of his rope. Oh, I mean, he, he couldn't break a pane of glass with that fastball yeah. Yeah. at the end of his rope. I like the idea of what you said earlier, where you guys said, did... Roger Dorn unintentionally win like GM of the year. And like, did Jake Taylor unintentionally win sort of coach of the year too? Right. And it's like, when you're a sports fan, as we all are, you watch these teams and you think, man, this guy's an idiot. He has no idea what he's doing. Roger Dorn was an idiot and had no idea what he was doing. Jake Taylor was a pretty good coach. Right. But it's, it's, it's funny because he really did luck himself in with Randy Quaid in the outfield heckling the players and uh, Jake Taylor becoming an amazing coach here while yep. uh, Lou was in the hospital getting a quadruple bypass. I hate to say it. I hate It's got to be said, the elephant in the room. Probably the best thing that happened to this team was Lou getting that heart attack, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, sorry. Sorry, Lou. You don't wish it on anybody, yeah, but, but Jake Taylor, worked out. Jake Taylor is the perfect coach for this team. Uh, Ty knows this, that uh, catchers make great uh, managers, MLB managers. That's they know the game. They're smart. They're they can be personal with with the the last pitcher on the roster to any kind of hitter. And yeah, Taylor Taylor knew how to push all the right buttons. He knew how to massage the egos. And I don't know if Lou, Lou might be too old for that kind of thing. I don't well, know. He couldn't take it. I mean, I think Dorn is a terrible GM, <laughs> and I think he sold Parkman because he had no choice. He overpaid for the team. Yep. 
he outbid himself by 50 million, I want to say. Yes. Yeah. To buy the Indians went up from 100 million. Yeah, negotiated initially to 150. Yep. Paid too much for the franchise. There's that gripping scene where his accountant tells him you're you can run the team for 2 months. <laughs> you got you, you overpaid for the franchise. You can run the team for 2 months. And so um he lucked into Tanaka. I think it was ultimately a net gain because Rube Baker, they didn't know what they had in Rube Baker. And when, when they saw him out there, I mean, you saw him playing more than you saw Parkman playing, even when Parkman was still on the team. Yeah. And so my hunch is that there was probably some scuttlebutt behind the scenes. Like, do we really even need Parkman? He gives us 40 home runs in the lineup, but he's a dick. He wears the jacket. He smokes in the clubhouse and everybody hates him. Um, so even though he had to make that trade out of necessity to kind of keep the the lights on, I don't I don't think that was any stroke of genius. I just yep. think it was something that he had to do. Jake Taylor, on the other hand, bad way, 100%. He was the right guy for this team. He was yep. the perfect coach. He was a player's coach when he had to be. I think he knew how to push the buttons. He He was recently retired, so he knew all these guys. They respected him. Yep. Lou Brown himself said, the guys all look up to you. They all look up to you. And they did. I, he was the perfect manager for this team. So, Dorn, not so much, but Taylor, manager of the year. I I mean, they went to the ALCS. They went to the World Series, of course. Yeah. yeah. What about, like, going into this year, right? You, you, you're a fan of this team. They had this Cinderella story the year before where they won the pennant, and they came out of nowhere. All the fans are riding high going into this year. They're thinking, man, the, the Indians are they're back. They're going to they're gonna be great, right? It takes what Bob Euchre all of like what a couple games to start getting blasted on the air again. Like what what are the expectations as a fan going into this year and then getting absolutely crushed when these guys are just a bunch of bums before before you had Taylor before you had some of these sort of crazy moves that that sort of worked out in their favor. Like what would your expectations be going into the year with this team? Everybody's got unrealistic expectations for their teams. I mean, it's that's just what it is. I mean, you got a team that's making a deep playoff run, you're, you're, you're sucked in. And as a fan base, I think you at least owe it to the team to, to try, right? To, to try to like support them and kind of, you know, get them through the slow start if there happens to be one. But you, you can't help but be excited about it. I mean, they found diamonds in the rough in the previous season. They found William Ace Hayes. They found Rick Vaughn. They found Pedro Serrano. These guys were, these guys were newcomers and they were, essentially collected off the trash heap because Rachel Phelps, the vile owner, wanted to move the team to Miami. And then they hit on all of them. That was part of the charm of the initial movie. So if you're a fan, yeah, you win the division. Expectations for the following season is not that the team's going to bottom out. It's like, oh my God, we found all of these rookie stars. They're all still on the same team. Going into this season, the, 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 the team's under new management. It's Dorn's team at the start of this movie. So no reason to think if you're a then Indians fan that this isn't going to be a better version of what we saw in the first movie, especially since they signed Parkman, who was going to add 40 home runs to the lineup. Now, it disintegrated, but nonetheless, I, I, I wouldn't have blamed any, any fan of the team for having higher expectations. Seems fair to me. As a fan base, I mean, do you do you respect Dorn as as the owner? Like, you just accept him? I don't think I don't think Dorn was a I think Dorn was a fan favorite. I feel like 
fans could see right through somebody like him <laughs> as a as a player being kind of like a prima donna. And all of a sudden, this guy's running the team. I feel like it'd be questionable right out of the gate. Drew, I'm curious to get your reaction to Dorn. Uh, so I love Roger Dorn for for the comedic reasons, right? Because right. even in the first movie, I thought he was hilarious because he was obviously thought he was better than than what he was, and he had all kinds of ridiculous, "Don't touch my face," all of that stuff. The the whole cheating with his his wife and the drama with him and Wild Thing. And then you go to this movie. Dude's a total joke, and I loved it, and I'm I'm all for it. Like he was unintentionally hilarious, and I think the idea of him making this big splash as an owner, trying to trying to sign Parkman, I mean, I can't fault the guy, right? He tried to make a big splash, try to make something you know big for the team and the fans. But I I, I love the idea of a player GM. Like I, I just I'm a fan of of the idea of that, and especially it being him. I don't know if you guys like that has. Has that happened in 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 sports that you can remember? Because I don't I don't think that's ever happened according to what I would remember. Right? Has that ever happened? I feel like there's been some player genes. I just can't. I mean, there's. I guess it's more ownership than, than actually doing the you know the day to day trading, signing that kind of thing. I mean, we all know Peyton Manning was running yeah. that team, so sure. that's that's maybe not the GM, but I guess go John Elway, but. My question, uh, this is what I find one of the most unrealistic things about this movie. So at the end of one, right, so so we know in one that Ricky Vaughn slept with Roger Dorn's wife, right? It was unintentional, yep. but it happened. It can't undo it. It happened. And they did make up kind of in the end, you know, it was, you know, they won, you know, punch in the face, and then they celebrated together. Now that Dorn is Vaughn's boss, like, I feel like he should have traded him right away, right? Don't you just trade him for as much as you can get because this guy, this asshole slept with my wife. Like, it's not over. It's, to me, it's not over if I were Dorn. Well, they made Thoughts? good. They, they, they made, made good. good. They, they made good. I mean, they, like, I mean, <laughs> Dorn, okay, I promise not to kill you anymore, but I feel like in the back of my mind, maybe I'm a petty man. I don't know. I would have traded him and then said, sorry, pal. It was a good deal. I couldn't pass it up. But in the, the back of my mind, this guy was gone the second I got power. The scene where they bury the hatchet in one is also, I think, the unintentional comedy king of the edited version. Because <laughs> in the mo- in the actual movie, he says, strike this mother effer out. Yeah. And in the edited version, obviously you can see what his lips are saying, but the audio is, strike this guy out. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they in yeah. the edited version that's how they kind of settle their differences couldn't even go mother father couldn't yeah, do it mother father. no couldn't i mean i don't know i just feel like they buried the hatchet um <laughs> i think there have been plenty of other examples where um it, you know a, a player retires and then is recruited into upper management or a scouting department or in in the coaching department um you know we've certainly seen examples in other sports the NFL, it happens all the time where ex-players become GMs and the like. So it's a, it's not out of the question. What I think is is a little bit weird is, and I mean, we see this if if you're like an NFL fan and you follow the Cowboys, like they have an owner slash GM. Yeah. And that that combination is, I, I think, pretty rare. The, usually the owners are rich enough they can hire somebody who knows how to uh, how to push the yeah. papers and, and make those moves. they think they know better. It's yeah. not a good idea. You know, like having having the firsthand playing experience is valuable to being a coach and and maybe even yeah. being a GM on some level. But um, simply being an owner doesn't qualify you to be the GM. It just 
it's a different skill set altogether. I'll say this: as an Eagles fan, I hope Jerry Jones stays the GM of the Cowboys for uh, for all right, of exactly. And and I know you're a Giants fan, so you know I think we agree on that. So, hundred <laughs> percent. Before we move on, I just before we move on from Dorn, I just want to ask you guys: Is Dorn taking one for the team? The possibly the best scene in, in baseball movie history. Wow. I mean, the best scene in baseball movie history is Roy Hobbs hitting the lights in the natural. Well, if you want to go nostalgic, if you want to go, <laughs> go nostalgic, you know, and fan, like actual, if you want to go fantastical, sure. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think, a stroke of comedy brilliance. Yeah. His to face put him in there. It. I mean, wow. the best scene, the best scene I think featuring Dorn is before that. It's not so much him getting a hit. It is when he comes into the coach's office and says, guys, I have good news. This morning at 9, 10 a.m., I activated myself. Yeah. That's the picture. And then, he, and then he's wearing like the trench coat and yeah. he just sort of like unveils yeah. it like he's Superman. He ex- that's the funny yeah. scene. He exposes himself. Yeah. That is that's the, the funny scene. That's the um, photo of this episode has to be. <laughs> it has to be. That, that to me is the funny scene for Dorn, but him stepping right. in there in the theatrics when he gets plunked are pretty great too. Yeah. We're, we're giving, we're giving Corbin awards for this movie because oh, they yeah. give this franchise for, for, for sure, because I, it's just, just phenomenal. I want to know how much money he's actually lost, right? Because think about it. So he lost, I mean, he nego- he got negotiated up to buy this team at 150 million. The Rachel Phelps inherited the team when her husband died, right? That was, that was the whole thing. So He's at at least 150 mil. And then she bought the team back from Dorn at a quote, substantial profit. How much money was a substantial profit? And how much money is this guy like been taken to the cleaners? Like it, yeah. he's, he's getting, he's getting like destroyed. What an oh my God. <laughs> she doesn't need to move to Miami. She's making the money off of uh, buying and reselling the team here. It's crazy. So like. He had to activate himself. He needed the paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> he needed a paycheck. The, the, you know, and and we don't, we're not going to do it because we already did it. But if you guys are a fan of the show, you know we do the villain scale. Rachel Phelps, we already put her through the scale. She had a 10 out of 20, if I'm not mistaken. It was a five for look and style, one for her hideout layer, three for plan, and one for henchman. Yeah. Maybe it goes, I don't know if it goes up or down if we were to rescale her, but she had a 10 out of 20. She had henchmen this time, at least. She had those two, yeah. you know, Chippendale looking goons <laughs> holding that holding her purse for her. So, I mean... Other than that, yeah. Can I can I ask you guys a question? Of course. Yeah. What what were your favorite scenes in the movie? Forget about the characters. Forget about the plot for a second. But favorite scene, scenes that resonated the most with you in this film? Uh, well, obviously the door uh, hit by pitch. Uh, sure. Also the the rube hit by pitch, and the whole thing of his ankle just being gnarly, and his speech in the locker room after. After game one, between game one and game two, after the brawl, where he just chastises everyone for taking the game for granted. That's kind of like, for some reason, that that really stuck out to me. And it was one of the more, you know, heartfelt and genuine moments in the movie. Also, also, also Tanaka knocking himself out on the reveal of, of the signing. <laughs> I, I would say the, the dynamic, well, any scene between Tanaka and Serrano, uh, I, I just, I love the relationship between the two and the fact that they kind of play off one another, like that partnership and sort of relationship was, was just, I I had this vivid memory of being a kid watching this movie and the marbles like uh, gesture, right. As he's running, that's, you know, another candidate for, for episode cover here. But 
the 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 scene where he's doing the marbles thing is just that's like ingrained forever ingrained yeah. in my memory as a child watching this movie. That I'm glad you brought that up. So that's one for me. Yeah. And I mean Serana running around the bases doing the marbles thing back to Tanaka is pretty great. But the scene in which Tanaka has to go to his like pocket translator <laughs> to figure out how to say what he's trying to say. He still doesn't really say it right. You know, yeah. like he just found the next closest word. That was written really well. Yeah. And when he kind of goes and he's doing the marble <laughs> gesture, that is funny as hell. Yeah. That one for me, the second one, this gets me every time I watch this movie. I, I must have seen this movie 50 times now. The one that gets me every time is Lou Brown in the hospital yep. bed, that yeah. was jumping up and down, pointing. Can we curse on this show? Oh, you can say sure. whatever you want. Pointing sure. up at the British, like, draw whatever he's, uh, you know, Downton Abbey, whatever yeah, he's that, watching. Yeah. And saying, I love this shit, I may move to England. <laughs> Gets me every freaking time. <laughs> that was my other yeah. one. Lou Brown is awesome. And he's in the hospital gown, looking frail as hell. And he's about to have another heart attack. Like, th- those scenes were hilarious to me. I, I just the, loved it. <laughs> where they're losing this tragic stuff. Yeah, yeah this is tragic <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and he's going in and i got me playing me a transistor radio with an earphone <laughs> he has that deep grovelly yeah. voice in the push broom stash yeah. what a character yeah. man so, so you talk about a five percent score i mean let's go back to the five percent I mean, yeah they found a way to like make taylor the, the manager and still have a, a great role for lou in the hospital there I mean, it's good writing. Yeah. So we for, we, for a throwaway sequel, I mean, what, what, what more could you want? We ripped the hell out of Tom Berenger in the first movie, right? Because we kind of said he was a scumbag trying to get after Rene Russo. Man, talk about total redemption story. Yeah. Like his, his hard turn back to hero of the movie, amazing mentor, great coach, just good partner, man. I love Tom Berenger in this movie. Like, but one of my other scenes, it's not like like super inspiring. Super inspiring is when he goes to Wild Thing's apartment and rips him a new one, and and then Wild Thing just kind of snaps out of it, and he comes back with the hair and all that other stuff. Because I, I want to talk to you guys also about this Wild Thing transformation into this corporate shill, for lack of a better word. Right? What do you guys think caused him to sell out? Was it the agent? Do you think? Do you think it was that? Do you think he he maybe had this taste of success? Because he came from yeah. what the California Penal League, California sure. Penal League, yeah, yeah. He he never had a dollar in his life, Drew. All right, yeah. He gained a dollar. It's a shock towards the end of Major League One when, he, when the paychecks started piling up, which I'm sure he was spending right away. And then once he realized how much he could make if he just quote unquote played ball. Yeah. And oh by the way, my agent who's telling me to do this is this supermodel girl or whoever, you know, who's, of course he's going to listen to her. And of course he's going to get brainwashed. I don't blame him. It's, it's kind of like what happens if, for, for a guy to, to get success out of nowhere. Was he on a league minimum salary? Because the, he came out of nowhere, right? So he probably wasn't making that much. So maybe he's trying to cash in yeah. on his next contract. Like what, yeah. what, what, yeah, how does that work? Yeah. For, he's probably on a minor league deal. Uh, I'm sure he had, ends up getting the league minimum, maybe arbitration. I don't know how it worked back in the, back in the early nineties, but but he, he had not, status, you know. He had status yeah, because yeah. of the because of the look, the gimmick, sure, and because yeah. yeah, because of the the shtick. And so he probably in that first year, and even in the second year, made way more on endorsements. That's why that's part of the part yeah. part of the of the thing here. I mean, look, 
he certainly would not be the last guy on earth to be changed, to change his entire ethos um, after meeting a pretty woman. Yeah. He just wouldn't. And um, that being said, I did struggle with the sudden turn because everything this guy was about was he's a motorcycle dude. He is unconventional. He doesn't take any, any crap from anybody like just not like a friendly guy, you know, like everything about him that we came to love in the first movie was completely antithetical to this version of him. And so I struggled a little bit with how they could make that turn just in one off season. I kind of felt like even though the Serrano turn was equally as striking, that one at least you could see happening. Yeah. That yeah. one at least was more believable than suddenly Rick Vaughn becoming this this corporate shell. And I struggle with that. That part to me, like if we talk about comparing one to two, in retrospect, with where Vaughn started to where he ended up, yeah. I mean, he, he ended up right back where he started. Spoiler. But that transition in the offseason to me was like, mm, I don't know. That, that was a little much. Wouldn't. It may have made more sense for him to like maybe when he get his when he gets his temper up to show more like flashes of the wild thing, like for him to just just bow down to a guy like like Parker like Parkman who I know is is a lot bigger than him or like if, to actually it be a a fair fight between him and Willie Mays Hayes and wherein in the last movie I feel like he would have just knocked a guy like that out and no, and no seconds flat for him to just completely turn into this wussified version of himself where the wild thing isn't even a part of his, of his being that it, it does seem a little, a little unrealistic they, to me. The other thing bad, they went a step too far with the fastball velocity. Yeah. He was throwing 97, 99. I think he clocked out at one Oh one at the end of major league one. Yeah. And at one point he references, I threw so-and-so an 87 mile an hour fastball. And it was like, it ended up being the guy's first home run. He lays down on the couch and, you know, his girlfriend at the time is trying to console him. But like, what I would like to know more of as a baseball fan is, was this a conditioning issue? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it such that the money really went to his head and he just sort of mailed in all the strength and conditioning stuff that pitchers are supposed to do? Even still, I don't know if you can, if you're able to throw 97 I don't know, barring injury or, or something catastrophic, what else would cause your fastball to dip 10 miles an hour like that? It's the easiest pitch to throw. I don't know how suddenly you would throw 10 miles an hour slower unless there's an injury oh. or if you just really do no conditioning whatsoever. I think an offseason with, with zero stretching or any kind of <laughs> movement, uh, maybe his arms tightened up. And then when he got into spring training, he realized, shit, I don't have it. You mean he's not Henry Gardner with a tight no. arm there? Like Exactly, that. yeah. No, it's too tight. It's too tight. It's, too it's, tight. it's not Yeah, I just, it's not magically that, that, tight. That, that to me was striking that suddenly he, he was throwing 10 miles an hour or less. And then, what, he shaves the back of his head. He gets a pep talk from Jake Taylor. And now he's throwing a hundy again. Well, that, yeah. that's what I was going to ask you guys. Did you think it was a conscious decision? Because the way they painted it almost seemed like he's saving his arm because he's, you know, 
He's got to get that next contract. He's not going to go all in on it. But it's mm. counterintuitive because if you save your arm and you're getting just completely crushed every time you're throwing these slow pitches as your, quote, fastball, you're not going to get the contract. So maybe yeah. maybe him saving his arm was more like this this excuse for really not having it anymore. Or, or like you said, bad conditioning. Because I, I couldn't tell which way they were trying to go with it. Yeah, or his agent telling him, listen, don't throw your arm out. Let's get this contract. Yeah. So well, take, and take care of your body. I mean, at one point he does reference that he's naming his pitches now for marketing purposes. <laughs> I was yeah. just going to ask you, I want <laughs> right. to rate the pitches. I, I want your opinion on this, Ty. You, you're the you're the resident yeah. Major League Two. Two. So give us the name of the pitch, maybe what the equivalent is, and and maybe which one you think is is probably the toughest to hit. Well, I mean, if he's got the Terminator on, if he's got the fastball on, if he can throw 103, that's probably the hardest. Um, he he talked about some of the other pitches that he had, and um, one he said was a forkball. He was working on a forkball slider combination, which I believe was the Humiliator. <laughs> and um, great name. And then the Eliminator was, I I think he said a screwball split finger combination. These pitches, even- <laughs> these pitches exist already, by the way. They're not called this. Everybody calls them differently. It's one of the ongoing debates in Major League Baseball. It, what it, what makes a curveball versus a sweeper curve versus slurve. a slurve? Like everybody has their own variation of some of these yeah. breaking pitches. So all of these things exist. Given the way that he threw the eliminator, it looked like a circle change. <laughs> it was a slower pitch that tailed into a righty. That looked like a circle change. The humiliator, which is the the forkball slider. That way, that's basically a sinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so uh, these these pitches exist. And I, I'm trying to think of what Parkman hit out of hit hit at yard for that he renamed to the master. That was the humiliator. Was that, that was the humiliator? <laughs> which yeah. now, is now the masturbator. The masturbator. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so do you guys think that his last season was a flash in the pan, or do you think he was actually that good and he got it back? Like, do you think this was a sort of a one time? And I don't know if there's an equivalent baseball player that you guys can think of that that was maybe a Rick Vaughn type person. Guys, I, I'm concerned about the future of Rick Vaughn. I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel like this is just maybe a couple, one or two more years and he doesn't know how to pitch. I mean, he's, he's a closer is what he is. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Is he he should be starting. Yeah, you're right. He seems and like he belongs in the bullpen. And he had yeah. both roles in both movies. He should be a closer throwing gas and that's it. Yeah. I mean, you're, there's only a couple things you need out of a, out of a closer. You need a guy with a blazing fastball. You need a guy with some sort of off-speed pitch, and sometimes it's a changeup. In the case of Mariano Rivera, who is like a near-unanimous pick, or was a unanimous pick, I guess, into the Hall of Fame, he had a fastball and a cutter. That's all he threw, right? Just something that's not the fastball. And they also need to have a screw loose. Let's be real. That that is the role that a closer served. You got to be a little bit nuts to have that. Yep. To have that role, and and Rick Vaughn has all three. I don't know about stamina. Right. If his fastball is dipping 10 miles an hour in an offseason just from signing a deal with like Wheaties or wherever, um, that (laughs) tells me that maybe there isn't a whole lot of juice in that arm. So if he's really concerned about extending the lifespan of his career, he should be a closer. He should be in the bullpen. He should come out wearing the horn rims, the leather jacket. Yeah. The song playing. That's a hell of an intimidation factor. It is, and that's and that's marketing by itself, right there. You don't right, have to exactly. Go, uh, you don't have to go preppy marketing. You could go badass closer leather jacket marketing guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't and, know. And, 
And like to your it. to your question, Drew, there are plenty of major leaguers, plenty of starting pitchers who along the way, um, either due to age or because a manager thought better, started as a starting pitcher and ended up in the bullpen as a closer. I mean, that happens all the time. So it would not be unprecedented. It wasn't unprecedented then. It certainly wouldn't be now. What do you guys think about his his apartment? I mean, he he made enough money to have a have a, a sweet uh, hideout there. Like I don't know what was your, if you could walk away with one piece of memorabilia from Wall uh, Wild Things apartment, what would you be taking home to put in in your crib? What do you think, Badway? Oh man, I don't know. I mean, uh, that that red couch is something else. I'll tell you what, <laughs> this thing was like a cross between yeah. a strip club, uh, a sports bar, and like a nineties nightclub. You know, late eighties, early nineties nightclub, but it wasn't. He wasn't sure what it wanted to be. What do you think, Ty? So there is a funny thread that I found actually <laughs> when I was doing a little bit of research on on this movie. There is a guy on an audio message board who commented about ten years ago, asking, "Hey, does anybody know what high end speakers Rick Vaughn had in his apartment?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I was going to send you guys the link and I figured I'd spring it on you because Ooh, it's I'm glad you saved it for that. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Um somebody I believe has the answer to this. I mean, they paint I I can send you the link now as we're doing this. Um <laughs> somebody grabs a screenshot of this. And there's a long discussion here about what what these are. And eventually they come to the conclusion that these are Legacy speakers, they're the Audio Whisper series. <laughs> and at least by some accounts, they may be worth $20,000 a pair. <laughs> oh, my God. So we know one man on the Internet's answer is the, is the speakers. Yeah. The pool table was kind of sweet. Too. I like that. That would, that would be in my house, his pool table. <laughs> the pool table was kind of sweet. I have a problem with the apartment. I do. What it's, is it? There's no way that guy... There's no way that guy, the motorcycle guy who doesn't wake up in time to eat breakfast, like he may have rehabilitated his image in the office. There is no way that guy owns that apartment. Yeah. Did his did his agent, agent. Uh, interior decorate that thing? It's the agent. It's not. It's not his. But style. it's too. It's too bachelor patty for she, her to have done it though. She did it for the look. You know. She says know. That's what it is. She did it for those the look. Uh, like he didn't buy those ceramic tigers. I, no, Somebody he bought did. those ceramic tigers. There's just, there's no way that guy lives there. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. He's, he's, he's renting an Airbnb I could, in 94. I could kind of see uh, Parkman living there. That looked like a Parkman apartment. Yeah, honestly. I think Parkman lives there. Yeah. Parkman could live there. Willie Mays Hayes could live Willie, there. Willie Mays Hayes could definitely live there. You know, I could even see Corp. I mean, we saw a little bit of Corbin Burnson's pad yeah. in Major yeah. League One. You could see Corbin Burnson. With the wicker furniture. Roger Dorn, I guess I should use their yeah. character yeah. name. You could see him living in a place like that, but yeah. yeah, certainly not Jake Taylor. Jake Taylor is too salt of the earth. Certainly not Rube Baker. Rube Baker's on a farm. Yeah. If, <laughs> if, if Dorn had an, a second apartment in, that's in, it. Flor in Florida, in Miami, that, yeah. that's what it would look like. Well, his wife probably divorced him yeah. after the last movie, yeah. obviously, right? So maybe so like, maybe it was his place. Maybe He's got an estate. He's got an estate in Cleveland. He's got a beach house in California. And then he's got that bachelor pad down there in Miami. You also said this, Ty, and you asked us our favorite scenes. Underratedly, one of the best scenes of this movie is him doing the commercial for, for Right Guard. It, it's on the polo, on the 
polo course? Is that what you call it? I don't even know. What, what is grounds. it? Polo I, I, grounds? Who, who the hell knows? I'm not fancy enough to know what it's called, but playing <laughs> polo, he could not get those lines out. And I, I just, that's another iconic scene to me that, that just lives in my brain. So I think it's possible that he just learned how to read a year ago. That's true. That's true. I, uh, a couple of things I, I know, man, we, 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 there's so many things to talk about with this movie, man. But I want to ask you guys, you, you mentioned, we talked a little bit about Tom Berenger being the perfect manager for this team. What do you think of his techniques versus Lou? Like Lou was just selling cars two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like he was selling cars on a car lot. Was he really a good manager? Or, or again, it was Taylor and the leadership that he had. There was a, there was a little bit of motivation, I guess, with the Rachel Phelps thing. But uh, I mean, Ty, what do you think? Like, wh- who's your kind of coach? Are you are you going with Lou? Or are you going with Tom Berenger? Well, I mean, Tom Berenger was Tom Berenger was a players' coach, yeah, and he he knew these guys. They respected him. You know, I, I, I go back to what I said earlier. Like, Lou Brown himself said, "All the guys look up to you. You're the right guy for the job. You have everything you need. You know what you need to do here." And like Badway, like you said, catchers make great managers. Sure, it's it's sort of tried and true. It's a formula in uh, Major League Baseball. So I, I, it, there's no doubt in my mind Jake Taylor was the right guy to manage that team. And there's probably a reason Lou Brown was selling cars two years ago. <laughs> um, he, he, I think, plays an interesting character and definitely is a motivator in a very old school way. But in terms of like actual managerial prowess, you got to give it. Yeah. yeah. Got to give it to Jake Taylor. I think Lou's more of a mentor than a manager. Poor guy. I mean, year and a half into his dream job, you know, it took him 30 years to get there, has a heart attack. He's probably not getting back to the bigs, right? Or at least at least as the top dog, right? It's right. not like he's going to get a job yeah. with the Yankees next year for their for their managerial opening. Did, yeah. Did you feel bad for him that he couldn't watch the game? Like, I felt kind of bad for him. Like, he had to listen to it on the radio. Like, I'm glad he, he was able to, but I felt bad. I mean, did you? I don't know. No, I, I was a fan of of uh, of Taylor making up that he was dying. <laughs> great, great motivation, motivational speech, guys. And, and talk to Lou; he's not going to make it. The, the assistant, the assistant's giving him the side eye the whole time because he knows yeah. he's full of it. Yeah, it's yeah. great motivation. I mean, yeah. he knows what the guys need, and then they all went out. Let's win it for Lou. Let's. This, but I mean, it was so Lou didn't want the Gipper speech. No, he no, didn't. No. He didn't want that. Cut to and it. Yeah. Jake did it anyway, yeah. and I'm not. I, to be honest, I'm not sure if it would have had such impact if not for, again, Rube Baker serving a critical role in this movie, <laughs> standing up, awkwardly saying, hell, when a man's lights are about to go out, the fat lady can't sing if it's not over. <laughs> Long pause, everybody erupts. Right? Wiser words uh, have never been spoken. Uh, <laughs> Rube Baker, words. again, coming through in the yeah. clutch. Wiser words have yeah, never been man, spoken. A man, of, a man of many words. I, I'm a fan of, of Jay Taylor's you know, just motivational text scene. It just helping Rube with the Playboys and, and the magazines. Like, I thought that was a genius idea. And and I loved his motivation. The Dorn piece, all of these things, man. I I think I would play for him. He seems like a great coach. Can I can I pivot to a different thing that we haven't really talked much about Absolutely. yet? Absolutely. Please. Bob Euchre in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Bob Euchre in this movie is fantastic. He was fantastic in the first one. He's fantastic in this one. Monty is equally as goofy and meaningless in this movie as it was the first. <laughs> That's a perfect word. Right. Um, but Bob Euchre in his role just sets the scene. And I mean, everything is sarcastic and 
right away, right out of the shoot, like you said, Drew, right out of the shoot, he is negative <laughs> and sarcastic. Game one, fly ball, right field. Bob Bucher says he'll need a rocket up his ass to catch that one. <laughs> like kind of without warning. You don't yeah. expect it to hit. He was funny as hell. He was. And made the movie from like, from, from the standpoint of sort of setting the scene and creating the ambiance. And I think speaking to the skepticism that Indian fans probably had in this make believe yeah. universe, he was that guy who kind of gave voice to that and was just awesome. One of the, the best line reads of the movie is on, off of one of Vaughn's home runs, just, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> we thought about making that the intro clip, but it's like, I, I think what, what's cool, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a casual baseball fan, but when you watch other other teams and sports and all that other stuff, I mean, mostly like on regular national television, it just seems like baseball, the baseball announcers, especially the team announcers, have such a connection with the fans, you know, and they're, they're sort of an extension of the fan base. You think about some of the famous, you know, announcers, I mean, Euchre himself, right? But it's like, I liked how you're experiencing the team kind of through Bob Euchre and, and yeah. he is the perfect sort of vessel for you to experience the ups and downs of this team. And I, I feel like he's such an underrated actor, man. Like, I remember when we did the first movie, I kept thinking, oh, the guy from Mr. Belvedere, not knowing right. that this guy was like a famous <laughs> you know, baseball announcer. The voice of the Brewers forever. Like me being an idiot. But he, is, he makes this movie. Like, if you, if, you took, if you took anyone else and put a different announcer in there, like an actor, right? Uh, just yeah. a traditional actor, I don't think the movie would have had... The no. the gravitas that it has, yeah, especially more, yeah, more the like the the movie needs realism, <laughs> it, like a, a sports movie needs the realism for it to be taken somewhat seriously, even in a goofy comedy. Yeah, I mean, and he he is a broadcasting legend. Yeah. He's amazing. You know, he's up there with Vin Scully, who who was the voice of the Dodgers for years. Uh, Euchre is like pushing ninety at this point, still calling games Crazy. for the Brewers, yeah. and you know, still still doing a great job. So the fact that they got him in this movie, he was, he was definitely authentic on those calls. And I think it added so much yeah. to the, to the film. He's a good actor. He's, he's actually a good actor. Like you could tell when you get people in here and it's like, oh, you know, you get somebody, it's like, oh, try to make them act. Like he seemed very natural. Obviously it's baseball, but like he, re the line reads were perfect. His expressions, like you said, the line, oh shit. <laughs> I was oh, like, shit. that gets me every time. He'll need and, a rocket up his ass to yeah, catch this one. Yeah. I wonder too, like if you're a fan of, of of baseball and you're one of these announcers, like imagine when the team sucks. I mean, like that's got to be torture. You better love the game. You, you, you watch better love I mean, baseball. You do these things, man. It's I think baseball is impossibly difficult to call. Yep. And you know, like football, hockey, basketball, nearly every other sport is more has more tempo to it, but baseball, I mean, it used to be a lot worse before they implemented some, some rules to try and make the game shorter, but you go swaths of time where the announcers are basically doing a podcast yeah. on their own. What do you talk about? Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like I mentioned Vin Scully, Vin Scully called games on his own. He was a solo operation for years as a Dodgers commentator. It's crazy. How in the universe do you do that when you've got so much downtime in baseball is beyond me. So it is impossibly difficult 
to call those baseball games, to keep the flow of the game, to keep the fans entertained who are watching at home and still interested in the game. I don't, it's, it's definitely a rare talent. I want to talk about two things before we, before we kind of wrap up here. The, the first one is I want to talk about Randy Quaid and the, and the Fairweather fans, or maybe he's the Fairweather fan. I don't know. You know, so we'll talk about that in a second. Then we'll talk a little bit about the ending. There's some hypotheticals here, but let's just address the fan base here. Like, imagine you're a fan of this team and they suck so bad for so long, and then you finally get this amazing Cinderella season and then they're good, and then they're coming back to this. Like, is it fair weather if they immediately start being emptying out of the stadium? Like, is that is that okay? Should they be allowed? Like, should Randy Quaid be allowed to celebrate the win here? Is he allowed? Like, he no. hated them. No, absolutely not. And, and if, uh, the fair weatherness of the Cleveland fans to like, automatically go from sellouts to like 2000 in the stands. I think they called at one point when you yeah. called it. It's pathetic. They're not giving them a chance. It's like this team was, in, this team was in the world series last year. Let's let's give it a, <laughs> come on, give him a break. I mean, Randy Quaid though, he was, he was diehard. He was still he, there. I he guess. was still there. And <laughs> yeah, at least he showed he, up. <laughs> at least he showed up. He was yeah. hate watching, yeah. but Randy Quaid first and foremost was a fan of Rick Vaughn. He was a fan of Rick Vaughn, and that was the reason why he wore the shirt inside out and the X over his inside out hat. <laughs> that was that was the reason for his issues with the team, because all the while, once Rachel Phelps regained ownership, that team started playing and they showed the news clippings as they were elevating in the standings. So he was there. He was watching all those games and right up into the bitter end. In that playoff game, the game seven, when Ricky Vaughn shaves the back of his head again and comes out and blow it out your ass, large mouth, like that <laughs> scene, right up until the bitter end, Randy Quaid was out because Rick Vaughn was a guy he cared most about. I, I, I'm kind of mixed on this because in this movie, in this universe, the Cleveland franchise was worse, far more than they were, or was bad far more than they were good. And so even though it was kind of like a flash in the pan it and they ended up having a good season and going to the playoffs, winning the division, blah, blah, blah. Um, there was probably still kind of this deep-seated distrust of ownership, deep-seated distrust of like these new guys who kind of all popped at the same time. And so I could see a world in which, even though it sucks, I could see a world in which the fans just like bail on the team a little bit quicker than you'd expect. Yeah, fair enough. And I, th- I think, you know, we, we talked about this bad way a bunch of episodes ago, but man, our last row movie awards for, for 2023, it's going to be a crowded that guy category because Randy Quaid, I mean, like you said it, Ty, like he, he's like the star of the show in this movie. Uh, maybe he's even a main character at this point. I don't know if he can be in the, that guy he's the best category, char- but no, he's the best but, character. He's he amazing. Scenes. He has enough scenes. He's amazing. <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> uh, so what about the, and, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about Rachel Phelps' demotivational speech. Maybe we could save that for later, but I want to talk about the ending of this movie and how ballsy it was for Wild Thing to ask Tom Berenger, not even ask, just tell him, Tell right? him, tell him. He wanted Parkman. Parkman. I want Parkman. Like, Ty, would you allow, as a baseball manager, would you allow Wild Thing to do that? When he was hitting, I think, 900 or As something? Uker, yeah, Euchre said he's hitting 900 against Vaughn. Just over 900 against Vaughn. No, absolutely not. 
<laughs> like how Absolutely crazy not. was that? I'd send him back to the bullpen. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. It's it, it makes for a great story. Yeah, it makes for a great story. Um, you know, I want I want Parkman and Serrano want to bat. It shows that Jake Taylor is this player's manager. He's got this this intuition, the sixth sense, yeah. where he's able to kind of see the future in a sense and give these guys the benefit of the doubt. But except he doesn't let Dorn do what he wants to do. Doesn't right. let Dorn. Doesn't let Dorn run. Doesn't let Dorn swing or run. But no, no. <laughs> At no, least he but, got him in the game. But even even that is a sixth sense. You know, get yeah. finding a way to yeah. kind of. Yeah. Take take advantage of the fact that the the lefty throws inside, but like, no, you're not you're not walking the bases loaded to get the Jack Parkman. What about you, Badway? Just, to, just to settle a just to settle a personal vendetta. I don't know. You could see it in his eyes, guys. You could see it in his eyes that he wanted him and he was going to take him. He had confidence. There's no no freaking way. No freaking way. <laughs> we were when we were talking about this topic when we were doing the notes. We we sort of set this up. We're like, well. Maybe it would have made sense to do it, and then we actually played out the game series. We're like, "Hell no! This is the dumbest thing you could possibly." <laughs> there's do. no, there's just no way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> never a scenario. There's no where it way makes that, sense. Yeah. no way that happens. I mean, there's life. a scenario: Parkman hits a grand slam. There's a scenario: he walks Parkman because he doesn't have control, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> the tying run is ninety feet away. Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but anyways, I, that, that does not happen in real life. Yeah. I know you said this, Ty, you don't want to talk about Major League Three, and, and I get that it's a sub- sore subject, but it's been a long time since I've seen that one. Do they ever acknowledge what happened to this team after this movie? Because they beat them, and you know he, he ultimately gets them, but they don't, do they ever say, because this movie to me is ripe for a whatever happened after the credits kind of thing, where there's oh, yeah. the text and everything. I think it's missing. Do they, do they acknowledge it in Major League Three? I don't remember, guys. I, I blacked out. All, all I blacked I, out in Major League Three. All, all I know is is that the Buzz are actually the, uh, the farm system for Minnesota Twins. The Twins, the right? Indians. And Dorn's the owner, I think, of the yeah. Twins. So how did yeah. they let him buy another team, I guess, after the yeah. success of this, maybe? I doubt this team won the World Series. I feel like they, they flamed out the next round. And, and then maybe maybe one of the final questions I want to ask, and Bowie, I already know your stance on this. Ty, I need to know where you stand on this because I feel personally... Look, I get 162 games is a long season. It's it's too long, in my opinion. Maybe dial it down a bit. It's too many games. Yeah. But I need to know, if you get into, like, what is an acceptable time to champagne? Now, we're talking about, like, we're talking about, like, you, you get into the playoffs. I think I can understand the champagning there because it's a long season. I get that. My personal opinion is, you should not champagne at the next player there. And it seems the like there's card, a, for, yeah. for the wild card win. There's like a subdued champagning of every yeah. level. And it's like, they don't want to do it anymore. Like what is your, what's your policy on champagning? When is it acceptable? And when is it like, Hey, you know what? Maybe just save that for, for the world series. I it's acceptable in all instances. <laughs> you, okay. Okay. All, I, I may be the most liberal champagner there. <laughs> okay. There is. Is, um, it be, is it because uh, what, how often do you get a chance to do this? We might as well do it yeah. every chance yeah, we I can. Mean, look, life, life's short, guys. Uh, you get hit by a bread truck tomorrow. Yeah. You got to shake So yeah. in, you got you to enjoy it while you can. I, I am also kind of a bit of a student of the champagneing process. Not so <laughs> much popping the champagne and like kind of spraying it around the locker room when it's got the plastic up and all that. Yeah. But I always appreciate the guys who are super creative 
and like some relief pitcher brings a scuba mask. <laughs> you know, there are other Snorkel. guys who bring like raincoats or yeah. just like other types of gear to celebrate the champagneing, like taking it a step further. I'm a fan of that. And so the more I get of that, the better. Um, I've not been too critical of guys who, you know, because I've seen it too. It's like, oh, you made you you you're like the sixth team in the playoffs this year. Let's let's pop the champagne. That's a little much. Yeah. You know, like we it, it, you're celebrating we get uh, it. like basically not almost not making the playoffs. Yeah. Congrats <laughs> I, for I, going eighty three and seventy nine yeah, or whatever. But again, I I I subscribe to life's too short in in most cases. And um so if you want to celebrate, who am I to uh, poo poo? I think the Drew's point, I mean, uh, like after like the wild card win, you see the guy champagne again. You can tell they're half into it. They're yeah. kind of just doing it's it like, because the camera's yeah. on them and like, the, OK, we're, we're expected to do this. So let's go ahead and do this. But really, they just want to drink a couple beers. But yeah. I, but I, like imagine Tom Brady like champagneing after the wild card round. He'd be like, get the hell oh. out of here. Like you you can't because yeah. it's like yeah. you're premature. You didn't win the Super Bowl. Like you're, it's not over yet. Like you didn't win. And but that's I, what I, I think about. But I bet Tom Brady celebrated just as hard with his last Super Bowl as he did his first because he's a competitive freak. So, well, I, I would say the the winning the Super Bowl, you should champagne. Yeah. That's good. But Even like, if it's your sixth Super Bowl, yeah. yeah. But you win, you, you got it right. But like, if you win yeah. the wild card round of the NFL playoffs, like get out of here. They're going to be like, dude, we didn't win anything yet. <laughs> Keep your eye on the prize. Yeah. Like it just seems like there's a little bit more liberal in baseball there. Just so imagine Tom Brady just knocking champagne bottles out of guys' hands. He Stop would it. be <laughs> screaming at all of the players, like get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's also I would say, um, I feel like champagne is utilized a lot more in baseball. I agree. You know, like you see it in other in other sports, but you definitely don't see it as frequently or you definitely see it more frequently, excuse me, in in baseball. So, maybe let's talk about our final thoughts on this movie. I won't I won't blaspheme with Major League 3 here, Ty, but I'm going to start with you. Obviously, we know you're a fan. Did rewatching it again in preparation for this episode, did it change your mind on anything? Did you like it more? Did it bring you right back? Maybe how how do you view this as a as a movie? I, th- I just thoughts. thought it, yeah, I thought it held up pretty well. You know, um, movies from this generation, it, what is it, it's almost like 30 years old at this point. Yeah. A lot of times those movies, that, especially comedies, don't, they don't stay. Yeah. They kind of go stale. And again, maybe it's just that I saw this movie a lot and I'm, and I'm obviously a fan of this movie, having watched it so many times. I thought it held. I thought it was funny. I thought if you watch it for the first time and didn't know anything about it, that you would, you would, if I showed this to my wife who has no interest in watching baseball movies (laughs) and has heard of major league anecdotally, probably through me, she would find it funny. There there were funny moments in it that, that I think were back then and still are today. So the, the overarching theme is, yeah, it's, I think if nothing more, it's still pretty amusing and I enjoyed it. I, I think this movie um, also aged really well, and um, I feel like it dates itself less than the first one does, and, and maybe partially because it's PG and because it doesn't take itself too seriously, and it's just more of a farcical movie rather than kind of a self, you know, a little serious. We got the romance, everybody's doom and gloom, fighting for their lives, that kind of thing, and this is kind of just, here it is, here's some comedy, laugh at it, 
it's the type of thing where I feel like younger fans of baseball today would still find enjoyment out of this movie, which you can't say too much about, you know, live action movies from from the 90s or 80s. So as far as rewatchability and as far as legacy goes, I think that two might outshine one. I, I think you nailed it. Like the first one feels and I know it was I think it was 89, right? Yeah. The first one feels incredibly dated. This one feels timeless to me for whatever yeah. reason. It doesn't feel like a 1994, 1995 movie. Like it just feels like a baseball movie. And I think it's got the perfect blend of comedy, heart, fun, like seriousness too. But it, it the PG rating I think actually works well in its favor. The first one, I love the first movie. I think it's a great movie. But I think this one just, it's just, if I could pick between the two, I think I'd pick this one. It's just a fun movie. And I think it... It was a lot of fun watching this thing again. It brought me right back to when I was watching this growing up quite a bit. Yeah. So I totally agree with you guys. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap up, uh, as while we have the third man in the booth, Ty, um, resident uh, major league uh, expert and uh, overall baseball movie aficionado, we uh, thought we'd uh, try out a quick draft of fictional baseball players that you start a franchise with. So we're going to go five rounds, snake style draft, because um, really all you need is five players because – when you watch these movies, you really only know the names of five or so players. So we might as well <laughs> right. just do five. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't need to be here all night. We've already been here all night. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll give it a shot. So the guest gets first pick. Um, any fictional player you want. You can't pick Mickey Mantle from 61. You can't pick right, Ty right. Cobb from Cobb. Any nah, fake player is on the board, though. Roy, Roy so, Hobbs. I mentioned Roy Hobbs earlier from The Natural. But Roy Hobbs is he, the magic bat. So you're going Hobbs one. T- took out a light bank in the net. Yeah, you got to go Roy Hobbs one. <laughs> I mean, you can't really argue with it. It's a classic pick, you know, un- otherworldly power, if you will. I mean, not, yeah. a, not, a, not of this earth or, pick, or any pick other me out a winner, Bobby. I mean, the natural yeah. is a, yeah, is an all timer. All right. Well, Drew, I'll go second. We'll give you a chance to, to do the snake, the wraparound while you think. I'm going to go a little unconventional, maybe, maybe unconventional. Maybe some might say, you know, dark horse, best ball player of our generation, of any generation. Uh, I'm going Donnie Henson from ah, the League of Their Own. I, was I mean, what didn't. can't she do? I don't care, male, female. Uh, I don't care who you are. Yeah. She plays hardball. She plays it hard and she plays ball. That's such a good, you know, we're sitting here talking about Jake Taylor yeah. and his leadership as a catcher, but Dottie Henson in League of Their Own. Yeah. You know, she was, she, she carried, carried. Yeah. That carried team. that team. Jimmy Dugan was drunk half the movie. She managed managed the team as well. One year, only one year. I know it's a small sample size, but the talent's there, obviously. (laughs) She she could bring the husband along. That was really the only thing holding her back. So, uh, Drew, you got two. All right. I got, I have, this is going to be, this is going to be a little controversial here too. So, I'm going, for a variety of reasons, I'm going Mel Clark, Angels in the Outfield. Wow. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because he's bringing pick. the angels. Because he's yeah. bringing the angels because he dies. He he's dies. dead. Right? He like So he's yeah. he's bringing the angels. He's old. He's he's all feet in the tub. <laughs> he's in the tub. He's but washed. he's bringing the angels. So I'm bringing, I'm going Mel Clark first. That's, right. I'm going unconventional. I'm going the opposite that's like, of you That's guys. like nine picks in one. Actually, it's not bad. And then, yeah. just to make it crazier, just to make it crazier because okay. I need somebody like this. I'm going Mr. Chet Stedman. Double starting pitcher. I'm going double, double starting, pitcher. starting pitcher. Yeah, because he's okay. also probably going to die soon too. And then we'll yeah. get extra angels. So 
I, I'm going Chet Stedman and Mel Clark. This is oh, there's like a whole death pool angle here. Yeah. Bad way. This is, I mean, is, is, is he also an angel? But he's, he's, I don't know. If, Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Wow. Ty, are, how shocked are you that Chet Stedman went before Henry Roegardner? I mean, this is just crazy. <laughs> Having Roegardner fall into my lap, but I don't know if I'm going to go that route, you guys. No. Okay. <sighs> I need a Chet Stedman here. Put, yeah. the, put the sound clip. Um, I'm going to go old starting pitcher of my own and I'm going Billy Chapel because I feel like I need an anchor on the rotation. Perfect wow. game at Yankee Stadium. 200 game winner. Surefire Hall of Famer. Kevin Costner, who we know is Mr. Sports Movie. He knows what to do. Billy Chapel for the love of the game. Wow. Well, if you're going to put Henry Rowan Gartner <laughs> to me at my second spot, I'm taking Henry Rowan Gartner. I figured he'd be gone here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I can draft the top of the rotation starter, a little green, not going to, a little green, um, kind of annoying in the dugout. Ty, he needs a second pitch. I mean, he's throwing straight fastballs. He's going to get creamed once the league gets a book on him. Maybe. <laughs> but nobody's ever seen an arm quite yeah. that tight. The career longevity, though. I mean, you got him at 12 until possibly 42. So Right. There, if you get 30 yeah. years out of a yeah. starting pitcher... <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's an investment. So my first, do I get two? You're back to back here. Yep. All right. So I'm going Rowan Gartner, and then I'm going to get my franchise shortstop, and I'm going Benny the Jet Rodriguez oh, from San Diego. I knew you were going to. I was going there yeah. next. Yeah. So I mean, who can Benny argue? Jet. I thought about taking him one overall. Yeah, he was Roy up Hobbs. Roy, Roy Hobbs is too much to pass up. Yeah. But I'm liking this team, guys. I got Roy Hobbs, Henry Rowan Gartner, and Benny the Jet. You got youth <laughs> and you got experience. I mean, that's it's right. true. And right, you got a pitcher. This is, this is better than any fantasy draft I've done in the last <laughs> five years. <laughs> yeah. so, just saying. <laughs> all right, let's see. I'm gonna go with. All right, so I got, I got my catcher. I got my pitcher. I got experience. I need some youth, and I'm gonna go Kelly Leak. Bad news mm. Bears. Little bit of an attitude problem. Not, I mean, understandably, <laughs> you know, he's got to cut out the smoking. He's got to cut out the swearing. But give me that young center fielder with all that room to grow. Hoping he's not just a, you know, not just a big fish in a small pond. I, I have faith. Uh, Drew, Drew, you got two. Up? All right. I'm going unconventional. You guys are the baseball fans. I'm just going to build a team of just random guys here. So just to go completely, completely the other way too. I'm going to, I'm just going to go all pitchers here. I'm just going to, I'm going to wow. get me solidify it. I need Kenny powers on my team. That's, Ooh, that's who oh, I need. Locker room I cancer need, though. I need Kenny I like powers I like because that. I feel like he's going to bring this X factor to the team. You know how he Ricky is Vaughn there. Yeah. A little bit of Ricky Vaughn, yeah. right? Yeah. Sure. So I need Kenny powers on my team. I'm a fan. Eastbound and down. Great show. <laughs> great show. Uh, and then, I'm actually going to take another old guy that's washed up here too, but he's going to be my coach because he, he's going to be able to bring these guys together. I'm I'm going Jake Taylor. I'm going to bring him on the team. It's fair. It's fair. I mean, you, okay. could, do, you could even start him and catch your player coach yeah. if you want, if he's, if he's got the knees for it. Drew. Yeah. And this is, you know, assuming his knees aren't shot, but he's the only guy that can control Kenny Powers and then keep these other two dudes and the angels all in line. So I, yeah. I need a little, I need a little bit of Jake Taylor here. No, I can't. I can't hate it. I can't hate it. <laughs> um, so uh, it seems what I'm lacking is power. Yeah. I'm going to need some power here. So we talked about him briefly in the episode. 
We know he's got a bad attitude. We know no. he's got a shitty leather jacket. We know he <laughs> smokes cigars. Parkman. But I got, I mean, I, I need that. It looks like, you know, 280, 40 home runs, 130 RBIs. Catcher or DH, he could, he could, you know, him and Dottie can figure it out. I'm sure he won't take any shit from Dottie. <laughs> no. We're going to, yeah, we're, we're going to go Parkman. Gonna yeah. Go Parkman. I'm surprised Parkman lasted this long. Yeah. Just too good of a talent. I don't care about the attitude. We can fix it. We I was can hoping fix I could have got him. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going with with my final. I guess I get two here. You got two at the end. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of do things a little a little differently now. The problem that I'm running into is I'm gonna draft Pedro Serrano. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where Pedro Serrano fits into this lineup because Roy Hobbs is probably a better right fielder. Pedro's out there doing Tai Chi. Pedro's not necessarily interested now that he's found um, his inner Zen. Right. But I think Pedro could be a designated hitter. Roy Hobbs is getting up there. Let's be honest. He may not be long for one of the defensive positions. So those guys can rotate at the DH spot. Um, Provided Pedro gets his head on straight, he can be an extra pop of power because again, I got Henry Rowan Gartner, and Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Neither of those guys is contributing on offense. So, and then with my second pick, kind of to balance out that power and what is likely like a 198 average from Serrano, I'm also going to go to League of Their Own, go Marla Hooch. She was on my list, man. Great Marla pick. Hooch, second baseman. So I shore up my middle infield, Marla Hooch, Benny the Jet, um, switch hitter if memory serves. Was the best yes. hitter in the league. She could memory rake. serves. She could rake. She could rake, and she was a very good defensive second baseman. So you pair her with Benny the Jet. You kind of lock down the middle of your infield. Yeah, we still have a problem at corner infield. Let's be real. That's going to be a problem trying to. Like, those are the power positions. We're going to have to harvest power. I don't know if it's like Lou Collins from Little Big League as like my compensatory okay. <laughs> selection, a guy okay. who won a batting title in yeah. his own right. Um, but for my top five, I've got Roy Hobbs. I've got Rowan Gartner. I've got Benny, the jet. I've got Pedro. And now I've got Marla Hooch. Very nice. Okay. So to round out my team, I'm going to go a little, going to go further than fictional. I'm going to go not human. You guys. So <laughs> we could talk air bud seventh inning fetch. World Series champion <laughs> and MVP. I'm not going there. We could we could talk Ed the Chimp with Joey from Friends. He's a third baseman tie if you need a third baseman. Yeah. Right. We're not going Ed the Chimp. Okay. We're going with a mammal that can play all nine positions in one at one time. I'm going Bugs Bunny from baseball bugs. First wow. base bugs bunny, second base bugs bunny, third base bugs bunny, shortstop bugs bunny. Pitcher bugs bunny. He beat the gas house gorillas all by himself. Go I, for, I forgot about <laughs> Air Bud seventh inning fetch. Oh, man. There's and nothing to is, remember. There's nothing to if, remember. If this summer of sequels is worth its salt, you owe it to yourselves to do yeah. Air Bud Golden Receiver. Oh man. <laughs> I know more about football than baseball. Is that so. the is that the second one? What's the first one? What sport is the I think first Air, one? Basketball. Air Bud, is it basketball? Right? basketball? Is it basketball? Basketball. Okay. And I right. believe Golden Receiver was number two. Yeah. And I think that's football. And then there's a there's a soccer one too. There's a volleyball there? one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they had a whole Air Bud series. Yeah. They yeah. have a curling Air Bud one? franchise. 
which Imagine I believe got curly. contentious. You guys know the backstory so, behind the Air Bud franchise? I don't. No. Look it up on Wikipedia sometime for, for people who are listening. Look up the Air Bud. I believe it's Air Bud. There was some sort of squabble between the dog's owner and producers. And oh, sure. It was a whole thing. You know what the funniest part about Air Bud 7th uh, seventh, seventh, uh, inning fetch? When I looked it up, you would think he'd play center field, right? They have the dog playing first base. Can you imagine the shortstop just gunning one to first base, just to, just expecting the dog to catch it with his mouth? It's just, <laughs> I don't know what to say. All right, to close the draft, Drew needs his fifth player. All right. What do you got, Drew? The rest of the field is yours. See, I feel like there's two people from rookie of the year that I want one is a player and one is not a player because I just feel like I need somebody else. I got all pitchers. Who am I going to get to help keep these guys in line as well? Like I got, I got Jake Taylor as a catcher and I got all that there. I really wanted to go. I I don't know if the guy's name is it. Hato, the guy that, that, that says, here's one for mommy. And he, and he bashes it, but I'm not (laughs) going to go him. You're going villain. Okay. I'm not going to go him actually. I'm going Phil Brickma because wow. I want I want Phil Brickma on this team to help with his hot ice to help keep the they got a bunch of old guys right they yeah. gotta they gotta help them out their arms are all getting thrown out they're in the tub I need I need Phil Brickma on my team Daniel Stern and he's gonna he's gonna help them with all the techniques a pitching coach yeah. I got a lot of pitchers you know between him and Jake Taylor they'll keep these guys in line I don't have enough guys for. To play any offense at all. That's, that's what the role players are for. <laughs> but that's okay. These are these are my guys. You plan so. on winning every game two to one. That's fine. That's yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, Brick was hot ice. You could, you could you could help with Jake Taylor's knees. That's that's what I mean. There Between the knees, throw, throw the, all the knees, these old guys with their noodle arms <laughs> and their lung cancer or whatever. Maybe he's got something that'll help cure him. So I, I'm going Brickman. I wanted Haydo, but I I, yeah. I picked him instead. All right, so, to, to finalize, here are the rosters once and for all. Ty goes Roy Hobbs, Henry Rodgarder, Betty the Jet, Pedro Serrano, and Marla Hooch. It's a great team. Yeah, I feel me good myself, about that team. Me and myself, Badway, go Donnie Hinson, Billy Chapel, Kelly Leak, Jack Parkman, and Bugs Bunny. Drew goes Mel Clark with Angels, <laughs> Chet Stedman. Kenny Powers, Jake Taylor, and Phil Brickma. That's the worst team of all time. <laughs> Chet Stedman's the best name that was drafted. Yeah. Great name. Uh, just, yeah. Chet Stedman, Kenny Powers. You have the all-name team. Yeah. I uh, I like the the characters on my team. I'll put, I'll yeah. put it that way. So all, that, all that was fun. Very different rosters. So people, let us know who has the best roster. Drop, yeah. drop us a comment. Let us know how what you think. Yeah, I I just I want to say thanks, Ty, for coming on, man. It's it's always great to have you. I think it's been since episode what four? Whenever we did Ghostbusters two back yeah, in like twenty fifteen. Oh wow, yeah, That's, it's been it's, it's been, been a while, while guys. Yeah. I, look, I I listen to you religiously. I hope people out there who are listening, um, go on out to whatever whatever platform they're on and give you five stars and review the show and tell <laughs> you. tell your friends like. We're all kind of in this together, the podcasting thing. That's how that's how the shows get bigger. You got to tell your buddies about it. Got to tell your friends. You got to post about it. Um, I you guys put a lot into this, and I enjoy the hell out of every episode. So um, I'm honored to be here. I'm glad that you gave me a movie I know a lot about. <laughs> Absolutely. There, there's a handful of these, yeah. Yeah. you know, that I that I could probably do every line. So um, if if ever you happen upon another, just just give me a shout out. I'd love to come back. Absolutely. Uh, 
I'll say this too, you know, we didn't talk about it during the movie here, but Pedro Serrano, also known as uh, the the best president of all time, David Palmer, Absolutely. long time ago, ba- Ty and Badway and I, uh, Ty was was a, a great host of a, the Bauer Hour podcast. It's I, right. I think it's it's still out there, so you go check it out if you liked Twenty Four. Go check that out. Yep. But Ty, yep. Ty, uh, thank you so much for for coming on, teaching us all everything you know about podcasting, sharing yeah, that tell knowledge. Us, and, tell us what uh, to do. Thank you for the kind words. It means a lot. Um, if you guys haven't heard of Ty's podcast, go check it out, solidverbal.com. I'll put links in the show notes to Ty's Twitter and and for his podcast. Absolutely check it out, especially if you're a college football fan. It's the best college football podcast out there. Yeah. It, um, to get Ty on an August night when yeah. the, the, the college football ah, never stops. It's a big deal. We really appreciate it. Thank you no, so much. Any, anything for on. you guys. Anything for you guys. <laughs> I feel, I'm, I'm yeah. thrilled to get the invite. Thank you. So if you guys are, are enjoying the show or you're new to the show, check our website out, thelastrobepodcast.com. Check us out on all the social channels at The Last Row Pod. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and please consider leaving us a five-star review. We are in the middle of the summer of sequels. Sorry for the one-week delay. We had a power outage in the Northeast here. We will be back on August 24th with Speed 2 Cruise Control. Never seen it. So that'll be <laughs> that'll either. be an so interesting this is, one. It's going to be an experience. We're, we're heading into... Uh, into uncharted waters here literally this could, so this could be a disaster I, don't know. <laughs> I, could, I almost regret it immediately oh man so on that note we'll see you guys on august 24th right, see you Woo.